right, here we are. Screen Heat Miami is back in full blaze mode. We are here to talk about Miami films. There's a couple of them brewing. Yes. A couple of them moving, weaving their ways through distribution. Absolutely. Not the least of which is our two interview guests today representing the John Leguizamo film Critical Thinking. We have brought our good friend Carla Berkowitz, the producer, back to talk of distribution, along with one of her young stars in the film that plays Marcel Martinez, the chess protege from Cuba, uh, Jeffrey Batista, who does a tremendous job in that role. Critical thinking, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, certified fresh, 305 fresh. It is critical. Absolutely. Now that I'm thinking about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, speaking of critical information, we should probably say who we are, as we always forget. Yeah. We save for the last. We get get it get it in the front now. We get too excited. Screen Heat Miami is brought to you by the Miami Media and Film Market, as well as Kajik Multimedia, Nicole, and Cinevision. I'm your co-host JL Martinez, along with Kevin Sharpley, in the house, literally yeah. in the house, in our socially distant virtual houses. Well, our houses are real, but we're connected. Hey. Yeah. We're getting there. So what's some of these other hot Miami films? We're going to have a great conversation with Carla and Jeffrey. But before we get to that, we got to talk a little bit about this upcoming HBO movie. Speaking of, it's an election year. We're 12 days out now from the presidential elections and a whole bunch of other stuff going on. You, you saw a film last night. Yeah, it's not. It, it debuted last night. 537 votes. It's by arguably one of Miami's biggest, if not the, the biggest right now, documentary filmmakers. It's Billy Corbin and Alfred Spellman. They are a directing and producing team that have you know, put out some of the biggest flashpoint documentaries in Miami's history. Everything from Cocaine Cowboys, One and Two, Square Grouper, The U, which is one of ESPN's most watched 30 for 30 documentaries in history. Um, this one, 537 votes, uh, I think is one of their best. It was for, it, it was, it's an HBO documentary. So it debuted on HBO. HBO had a, f a film about the same subject, which is, uh, when George W. Bush was elected, it all boiled down to Miami. Oftentimes, the country boils yeah. down to Miami. Everybody boils down to Miami sooner or later. Yeah, and um, Years ago, Y2K, we were worried about this whole internet reset of the world. You know, Remember the world was going to end when all the computers reset to zero? Yeah. And instead, we got a crazy-ass election in November. That's what we got. And we got George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. He got on. He was hanging by a Chad. <laughs> Literally, Chads. And so that's what the documentary explores and the reasons for the lead-up 
to that happening in the first place. One thing that I, I love about Billy Corbin and Alfred Spillman's documentaries is they're always well-researched. This one, I think, um, really had to bring a lot of different elements together. Roger Stone, of all people, interviewed him. Maybe it happened before he went to prison. Maybe. Did he actually go to prison? I can't remember. I know his sentence was remanded maybe on his way to prison. Anyway, he didn't go to prison. So, uh, you know, Roger Stone was a part of it. There was a lot of malfeasance going on, a lot of backdoor deals, a lot of votes, not count it. It certainly is a film to see, whatever side of the fence you're on. It, um, you know, really shows how things can be manipulated in, inside of the system. So bravo to, to Billy and Alfred. Uh, they're both friends of mine. So uh, they've come out the gate with a really, really uh, great film and powerful, powerful film. So Randy's Michael Morse. Good for them. Check it out <laughs> on HBO. And uh, speaking of HBO, we have, you have some interesting numbers to report from HBO Max. HBO. They are up actually. And a lot of people were wondering if HBO Max was really going to, hit the numbers. I mean, they came out of the gate a little bit soft, but just like Secretariat, I mean, they're not beating Netflix uh, in terms of, you know, subscriber numbers catching up or, or Disney, but I think that they're, uh, they're setting a good pace, a great pace. 8.6 million new subscribers in Q3, quarter three. That's a lot. Yeah, that's definitely a good chunk, particularly since there are so many options out there for the subscriber. You know, obviously they do have a little help from the AT&T family. Uh, you know, there, there are packages that are sort of subtly built into if you're an AT&T wireless user or cable provider, that that can kind of be the HBO Max is kind of softly kind of pushed on you. So that helps definitely. But yeah, it looks like they've been doing a lot of marketing, a lot of marketing, a lot of retooling of the platform to really try to push, you know, their, their subscribers and looks like they're, they're starting to little by little turn it around. Yeah. I think they they turned it around. I mean, man, $42.3 billion of revenue. That's a lot of, that's a lot of stank. It's a, a lot, lot of cheese. Yeah. And they need it. I mean, after that huge round of layoffs, overall their revenue is down 28%, but the fact that, you know, they are starting to get some traction and uh, and really start to prioritize streaming, you know, which is another story we're going to get to in a minute. Um, it seems like some of those early maybe potential missteps, they've been able to clean some of that up and they're really just kind of moving full forward now to, to get folks on the Warner Media bandwagon via HBO Max. Yeah. And Warner Media has gone through some changes, quite a few changes including a new chairman of its television group. Oh, yeah. Channing Dungy, a black yeah. woman. Yeah, she is a black woman. Yeah. So she is now the new head, and she comes from, she actually um, worked previously at Netflix, uh, and she's bringing a wealth of experience to 
what I think is one of one of Warner Media's biggest focus, which is as we said, you know, HBO Max they're streaming, so right. she brings a lot to the table. Uh, really happy to see her on board there. Uh, I've been talking to the folks over there about one of my projects, so um, maybe I'm gonna have to give Channing a call. You're Take it straight done. to the head. If you're listening to Screen Heat Miami, go ahead and uh, get in touch with. Mr. Sharpley, he's got a couple of ideas he'd like to pitch you straight away. There you go. And um, I'm coming fresh off of uh, a directing stint. That's we, right. We never mentioned it. Yeah, we didn't. But I'm just going to throw it in there really quick. It's a psychological thriller called Deadly Night Out. We shot for nine days up in Jupiter, Florida. We're actually on the front page of the Palm Beach Post, West Palm Beach Post, today. Yeah, nice. That was a Burt Reynolds old hangout. Yeah, yeah. The the producer writer actually attended his his school oh, wow. back in the day. Yeah. A really good acting school up there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, we shot in a production bubble. Everyone was COVID tested before mm. we started, and um, you know. It was a tough shoot. We still have four more days that we're going to pick up next month. But uh, I think we should have a nice little piece. So, you know, we'll keep all the listeners abreast as that moves along. Particularly, uh, if you're listening, we not <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Thank you for the, uh, the plug there, my friend. But uh, <laughs> let, let's plug along into this interview. I want to plug into the interview. Uh, I think we had one more story, though, before we, we jumped, which was the reorganization of Disney. Oh, we cannot forget that. Yes. Forget that. This is monstrous because you're talking about the number one film studio in the world in 2019 had what over 12 billion at the box office has now basically told all its investors. Hang on a second. Theater is no longer our future from this point forward. The House of Mouse will prioritize all things streaming above yes. anything. That's major. That's red, red hot. That's white hot. That's white hot. That's white heat hot. Miami heat hot. Oof. Man, can you believe that? That's reverberations throughout the industry. That's monsters. And uh, needless to say, you know, that's going to take a minute for everyone at that company to figure out. But one segment that it is going to affect unfortunately negatively and this will be the last thing before we jump is amc which is the largest theater chain which has now warned its investors that if they don't get liquid soon they might have to file for bankruptcy they may not make it through this yeah yeah it's a tough thing because you know when this whole COVID thing started it didn't feel as real in terms of you know the physical effects of it for, you know, people who invest in stocks, people who have stock investments, you know, the markets have been really good. And, you know, the top 1%, top 0.5%, they've actually made a lot of money during this time. The rich get richer, my friend. The, yeah, yeah. They all, they find, there's a way. There's always a way. But there's just some things that can't be pivoted. And that's the physical, the physical ramifications. So, you know, no one really knew just how long this thing was going to take. It was forecast in some 
since. Of course, some naysayers, well, I don't want to call them naysayers, but some people, let's just say some people said, oh, a couple of months, a few months. I always said, and remember, we started talking about this back at the beginning of January from our very first Screen Heat podcast of the year. You know, we included what was happening with COVID over over there in um, China, over there in China. China. So, uh huh. And then every week, you know, thereafter, you can go back and check, listeners. True. No, we were, we were we were prognosticating something coming over here. We didn't know how deep or how long it was going to take, or what was going to actually happen. You know, at the beginning, if you remember, it was two weeks to bend the curve. Then it became a month, then three months. Now, you know, again, theaters and live entertainment still struggling six months later. So, you know, we wish the best for our theaters, for our live entertainment venues, and hope that there is a way out of this for them, at least. Yeah, I've always said, you know, really, until there's a vaccine, you know, maybe people aren't going to be super comfortable about being, because it's a dark theater, so it's kind of, you know, it feels a little bit um, not as secure. Right. But we'll see. Maybe there's some different ways to reconfigure. Absolutely. So, Look, at the end of the day, if there's anything Hollywood loves, it's an underdog story and a comeback. Yes. And no better representation of that than this great interview with the producer and star of Critical Thinking. So I say we jump into that, get a hopeful message out of how their run has gone distribution-wise during this crazy time. John Leguizamo's directorial debut, and he also starred in the movie. We have a great one coming for you. So here we go. We spoke, I think, um, we just finished filming. There was no COVID. No COVID. It was a very long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) No concept of COVID. Hold on. Oh, right. Yeah. That's right. You would have told me. If you would have told me, maybe I should save this for the interview. How about that? I'll save it for the interview. Oh, we're, we're recording, so don't worry. Yeah, we already started. <laughs> no, I was going to say, if you would have told me, hey, let's make a movie that'll take 20 years to make, and then when it finally gets made, um, we'll have like the greatest actors in it and great supporting uh, people around the community, and... Um, it's you know critically acclaimed and then a virus comes and we can't show the movie anywhere except we can't even sell it because no one's buying it the industry that it's in went par- you know paralyzed and then we can't show it in a movie theater maybe on tv and then blah 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 i would have said that is a horror movie that we should write that's a great movie but that's what happened Right. Or a sci-fi or something to that nature, but not, not a based on a true story drama, right? <laughs> it's not based on any true story. It's, it kind of unfolds daily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is history in the making right now, for sure. But again, I, I want to officially welcome everyone to the podcast, uh, along with my good friend and partner, Kevin Sharpley, our co-host. Uh, we're very happy to welcome Carla Berkowitz for the second part. We interviewed you Again, pre-COVID in the beautiful director's room at Hialeah Park. Jeffrey Batista, welcome you to the show to Screen Heat Miami as well. One of the very talented actors that Carla was referring to uh, who stars in the film Critical Thinking. He's right so there behind me. There he is with that thoughtful 
pose. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes in the movie, uh, by the way. I love that the whole, I know we're not supposed to call it blind chess. I call it blind chess, but it is such a powerful moment. Yeah, as soon as Jeffrey kind of steps into the picture and that kind of hero moment, I was like, oh my God, this guy's a genius. It was so powerful, so well done, Jeffrey. So it was, well, I mean, it, was, it wasn't me. <laughs> First, it's Marcel. And then it's just, you know, Zach Zamboni and, 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 and John who made all the magic happen. I mean, I, I was just an actor. That was just magic right there. That's not true. I, I, I disagree with him completely. I feel like you could, have, you could not have put anyone in a green shirt sitting like that, closing his eyes, making, you know, history like he just did. Because I have the actual Marcel interview uh, on you know on camera with CNN and Jeffrey and Jeffrey and Jeffrey's seen together on Instagram and it's the same person. So it, yeah. I disagree. No, and it was it was so authentic, like you said, because yeah. you know you're playing this sort of Cuban immigrant, but that's sort of obviously your background. But the way we're able to kind of bring it to life and it feels so authentic, you know, I think the closest thing that I could think of cinematically in Miami is obviously when, you know, when Steven Bauer was in Scarface. And the minute he starts speaking, it's like you feel like you're at home. Like, it's so authentic. It was very powerful. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, well, it's cer certainly, um, I'm, I'm directing a, a movie right now, actually. And as a director, you really do depend on the actors to flesh out those characters. And it ebbs and flows by the characters. And you have an understanding. It's, it's a dependency that you have on the actors, especially with an ensemble cast like critical thinking, you have to really depend on those actors to help to create that flow that's necessary. And, you know, your character comes in a little bit later and there's no hiccups. It comes, it, it really comes in seamlessly. And that's a test yeah. to the directing, but also an attest to the actor, yeah. you know, so. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we're glad, we're it's really true. happy to it's have, true. have you right true. now. I mean, we, you know, the auditions, the auditions were plentiful, as you probably know, I mean, uh, we, you know, we saw for months actors and th there are such gorgeous uh, auditions with so many Latins and black um, young guys that have such rich talent. It's just, you can't pick. So we decided to just go with the actors that kind of embodied what the real people look like in those days. And it, it worked, it worked, it definitely worked. And, you know, they're all great, obviously all five of the boys but every one of them are like super, are like superheroes. I always say that, you know, like each of them have their own superpower. I think Jeffrey's superpower was knowing he almost didn't move a muscle in his face ever. And that, that is his superpower in, in, in the movie is that he just, he had a poker face or a check, chest face, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. That game face, that poker face was brilliant. Right. It just played so, you know, pardon the pun, critically, especially in those final moments, the championship scene, yeah. you know, with the top guy and, you know, there's kind of like this little banter. I love the scene in the bathroom. Yeah. I don't want to give too much away, yeah. uh, but that little sort of tense moment between the final scene is like so brilliantly done. Yeah. And it's a lot of, you know, to Jeffrey's acting in that scene as well. Uh, yeah. Just kind of keeping that poker face and kind of like the game within the game, which is very popular in poker as well. I like Yeah, which is... Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I mean, after the bathroom scene, anything could have happened, even if you knew what the ending of the movie was. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I yeah. do know what the ending of the movie is, and I still don't know what's going to happen every time I watch <laughs> it. <laughs> it's so real. But I think his best face, to be honest, is at the park when he, when uh, Angel looks at him and says, Jodete. And he just sits there and, like, whatever. Okay. You know, it's like, I feel like Jeffrey has a, a way of talking without without expressing himself, mm-hmm. you know, but, but very, but with a lot of expression. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause film, yeah ultimately it's, it's a visual medium, right. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's more about the action even than the words. And, you know, even when you speak, it's great. And again, it's very authentic. It's just, you know, the dialogue again, goes back to, I remember that food truck scene in Scarface uh, where, you know, they're serving outside the nightclub and Stephen Bauer says, que más carne ni más carne, si así viene sandwich. Like only a Cuban could say it that way in that moment and make it feel so real. So, and Jeffrey's performance was just yeah. as interesting and it's authentic so as that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I mean, look, let me tell you, I had, I had a lot of, um, although I said, you know, the whole experience was like uh, amazing and it was very easy to do it. I gotta say that there was a lot of pressure. Once, because it was my first uh, feature movie, I was being directed by John Leguizamo. Uh, my first time um, in a movie like this one, so I needed to give it my best, right? I had a lot of pressure for, my, for myself, as in like, I better perform because this could mean uh, more future work, you know what I mean? But then on top of that, I have Marcel, who's, you know, it's based on a true story and a true character. It's not just me coming up with a, with a character. So I had to make Young proud I had to make everybody who this, who said, um, you know, based on casting, say, okay, let's go with Jeffrey. Uh, I had to make Marcel proud. I had to make the whole Cuban community or the Latin uh, community proud. Uh, so there was a lot of pressure on, on that part, you know, but uh, I was very happy with the work, especially after John was happy and Carlita was happy and Marcel was, I'm, I'm happy. So that was pretty important to me. You know, talk about what Jeffrey said about the pressure of having Marcel. Imagine me having 20 years of pressure to make sure that the real movie was an elegant, but authentic and, uh, you know, not movie magic style portrayal of these person's lives. Because these person, these people exist and they have to live and for the rest of their lives. And I needed to make sure that they were proud of, of what I did and they didn't know me. They were 17 when I met them. Do you imagine 17? They were in high school. They were still at Miami Jackson. So the only thing I said is trust me, like I said to you guys, you know, when we did our first podcast and imagine the pressure that I had to say no to a lot of power, basically speak truth to power when they wanted to, you know, cheat this or, do movie magic here and you know, blah. And I'm like, no, these are real people. No, the answer is no. And I knew that, you know, okay, I haven't made 78 films, but I do have a verbal contract, emotionally, an emotional verbal contract with these people to make sure that when they look at it, they don't feel like they were exploited. Yeah, I just wanna, um, I know that uh, JL introduced him and I at the top, but I just wanna make sure that we have a proper introduction so our listeners know who we're talking to and what we're talking about. So JL, can you uh, give us a, a, a ramp up? Oh yeah, please, sir. okay. So again, Carla Berkowitz is the 
producer, I say producer with a capital P, of Critical Thinking. Uh, she is a Miami local hometown girl, so we are beyond proud of everything that she's done over the time it took to accomplish this amazing feat. And so she is the producer of Critical Thinking. Jeffrey Batista is one of the stars of Critical Thinking who plays Marcel Martinez, the protege uh, chess player that plays a critical role. Again, I use a lot of puns, but it makes sense in the film. And just such a powerful story that as Carla was mentioning, had a certain trajectory in even early 2020 and things took a crazy turn because of everything that's happened in the world. So we wanna talk about where the film has gone since our last conversation okay. in the director's room. We wanna talk about obviously, you know, some of the more details about how the production came to be, particularly the casting of really talented actors like Jeffrey to bring this whole story to life. And ultimately how it's getting told now, which is, a lot of what we talk about in Screen Heat Miami, which is the streaming wars and how, even though unfortunately we had this huge hiccup, you know, I could have envisioned critical thinking as being one of these prestige films that comes out in theaters, the end of the year, the Oscar buzz, but the entire industry and not just for the sake of critical thinking has been completely flipped on its head this year. And how Carla as a producer was able to pivot and still put the movie out out there to as many eyeballs as possible, which is still available for streaming. But I want Carla to talk obviously a little bit about the journey of this film since our last conversation. All right, so basically what happened is um, we had independent movies of this size and, and, and um, you know, what, what it cost, the budget, usually don't, don't get this much attention really. And, and also when they, you know, don't don't actually have the money to to, for example, we, we got into South by Southwest, which it, to us was really the only festival that I thought was appropriate for this movie on a higher level, you know, kind of thing, because it's a techie kind of festival. It's not just for artsy kind of, you know, so we got into four actually four festivals but let's just talk about South by we got in and I decided that this was an ensemble movie not just an ensemble cast just everyone just seemed to we couldn't it was like a puzzle you couldn't take one piece out because it wouldn't be complete so I decided to bring the entire cast to South by Southwest everyone so we would walk across the street be like a pack we even named you guys, you know, the boys, because um, well, I remember, you know, in the 40s or the 50s, it was the, the, the Rat Pack, you know, with Sammy Davis and all that. And then in the 90s, excuse me, the 80s, it was the Brat Pack. So the other ensemble cast was us and I, I held a contest and somebody came up with Attack Pack because you attack in chess. So I brought the Attack Pack plus 35 more and that's it. It was over. So what happened was I, I didn't have a chance to get sad or angry or, or sad or, or excuse me, or, or, or nervous. I just, I didn't have one second for that. I, I just, I don't have that kind of personality anyway. So I decided, you know what, let's just, all these producers and studios have it in their calendar. They were going to see it, you know, that night at eight o'clock. So we decided to just send out the screeners to everyone and within, I would say a few days, we got an offer, which we accepted. And then we got an offer from uh, foreign sales, which we accepted. So we did manage 
to sell the movie. It would have been, and then after that, um, we got into three more festivals, which two of them, very prestigious, one in Taormina, Sicily, and Deauville, which is the most unbelievable festival. We couldn't go because they wouldn't allow Americans to go to the European Union. So the only festival we did go to, which I brought Corwin because he lived in New York, was the 20th anniversary of the New York Latino Film Festival, which we sold out and closed out the festival, which was really awesome. Because if you guys know Calixto, he's really a, a crazy, fantastic person. And um, Corwin lives in Harlem and this was in the Bronx. So I went up there a couple of weeks ago and it was really nice. But regardless, um, yeah, this movie, um, it, you know, it, it's, I'm not gonna lie, it's not easy to keep the, the eyeballs on it. it. You have to work really, really hard. I'm, I'm to the point where I am uh, on social media myself, for anybody that doesn't know this, that thinks it's a studio behind all the platforms. It's me, just me, the executive producer. So now I mean, I engage with all the fans. I give them their due because if they're going to write something, I better say something. So I ask them what their favorite part is, which engages them even more. And then it does bring a lot more eyeballs to it. And so I find ways to, you know, so I, then I, another way that to, to put new eyeballs on it is the actual chess community, the real, real chess players in the world including the Twitch streamers, which is huge. And every, nobody thought we were, gonna, we, we were going to be able to break through. And it turns out that not only did we break through and we're on Twitch and they do stream the, 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 the actual games that are in the movie are actually digit, uh, computerized now. And they do do it on Twitch, which is really bizarre. But it turns out that some of the people that reached out to me um, are, were actually in the room in 1998 in LA at one of the schools they were competing against and they lost, you know, when, do you remember Jeffrey at the end, they say, oh, look, Julia Masterman is here. Well, one yeah. of the girls is, is went there and she was there in the room. So, so we have, bro you know, bro we have broken into that community, the real chess community. Um, and so we I have to say that it's much harder, much harder than I ever expected, but the eyeballs are on there and we have submitted to all the festivals, and we can only hope that the organic reach, you know, does get to the right people. It's really not that much more, unfortunately, that we could do. It, we have a great pro project. It's now critically acclaimed. It's 93% um, on Rotten Tomatoes, and we can't, you know, can't get any higher. Um, so we we're just hoping. Not so much to win a prize. That would be great. But I would just want people to see it. Um, universities, high schools are reaching out to me as te for teaching tools, as a teaching tool also for the movie. So it, it's getting um, different, you know, eyeballs on it. Um, sure would have been nice to go see it in a theater. And I really, it's very sad, but you kind of have to just push forward and, and just pivot. Right. Give no time. Which, which absolutely you did, you know, considering the circumstance, like I said, South by South, West getting canceled in the, in the 11th hour, yep. then having to deal with obviously everything that not only the entertainment industry, but the whole world has been dealing with simultaneously. It's probably the first time in the history that this has happened, but with the idea that we're so much closer because of technology, yeah. you know, that everything just kind of reverberated so quickly yeah. around the world. 
but obviously, you know, to your testament and to the whole team to be able to pivot so quickly and go to this sort of VOD model, you know, being some limited theatrical, you finally were able to go to New York Latino, which I believe was a drive-in event. It was correct? a drive-in, yeah. Yeah, it was great. Which has become part of our new normal, right? Yeah. Because traditional yeah. theaters have been closed, but, you know, there's been yeah. this sort of crazy resurgence of drive-in movies yeah. across the country. It's like we're going uh, backwards in a, good, in a forward way, yeah. Absolutely. And for me, that's, that's, that's brilliant. And it just goes to, you know, it's almost like the game of chess itself, where you're kind of back into a corner and you got to think, okay, what's the next move? And the entire industry, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, well, it's like, it it parallels the movie. It's like, well, we thought we had a checkmate, but we're early in check, you know, so um, we just had another move and we haven't been zoop swanned yet so we're still moving you know yeah. we're still moving um no, no no i was gonna say i have to say you know i've been a support supporter of the film early on of course be- yeah. I, had, I hadn't seen it or you know i hadn't been on set um i'd been in and out of town but that's, i think the- that's jail's fault sorry <laughs> uh well we're not gonna lay me he has it he has an open invitation and he said i'm on he can come <laughs> we're not gonna lay any blame but um, he's a busy man. It it is a testament to to you as a producer, Carla, to ensure that the film was shot here, and yeah. you know the all the production was done here. The Everything. you know, and so th- that's Everything. incredible. So of course I had to support. I, you know, I'm big supporter of Miami. I live here. It's my town. People can't see. I have on my U hat, my U Miami hat right now. Um, I'm a big supporter. But, you know, oftentimes it's not as easy to keep a production in town when you have different um, incentive programs around the country and, and, you know, all these things. But that it does add to the authenticity. And we talk about honesty um, of the project. But when I saw it, I was just blown away. I mean, you you know, sweet. Thank you. Yeah, you really have to, you know, give it up for you as a producer, as I said, but also uh, John Leguizamo, who did double duty double duty yep. I, he's you know kind of a living legend already yeah. in in his yeah. acting and also in theater and, and all the things that he does yeah. and we totally, consider him totally. a miami son because he's done a yeah. lot of projects in miami bloodline he, yeah. he was one of my favorite characters chef. on bloodline chef chef and the list goes yeah. on and on and on yeah. but that double duty jeffrey you mentioned you know him as a director um you know he really did pull off a great feat and you see the results in that 93% Rotten Tomatoes score. I mean, that is huge, huge. Of course, it's a testament to the directing, the producing, also the acting. But, um, you know, my question is to, it's to Carla, but also to Jeffrey. So this is for both of you. How was it, uh, you know, working with John as a director? It's his directorial debut and as an actor, the dual duty. You're the only ones who have worked with him in that capacity. True. That's, I've actually never thought of that. Yeah. Ahead, no, you go ahead first, Jeffrey. Oh, you want me to go first? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I've always said it. I've said this a million times because I always have to mention it. Um, as a director, the best. As a as an actor, the best. It's just it was such an amazing experience working with him. The first time that I met him, I remember was um, none of the guys had uh, were you know were in Miami yet, and I went with Marcel to meet uh, him and then Carla was there too. It was the first time I met Carla. You know, I was just expecting, you know, I'm meeting a celebrity, whatever this and that. And then he just embraced me. He gave me a hug and he's like, hey, what's up buddy? And then like- Oh, I thought you meant me, a celebrity. 
I'm yeah. joking. Uh, you are too. Yes, hundred percent. But uh, I go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm joking. That was that was a very bad joke. Yeah. yeah. And then from that moment, it was just like you know this relationship that what I liked about it was that he was very open to hearing any ideas or suggestions that we had, whether it was like as for our characters or, and I don't know. I just feel like he trusted the five of us and like pretty much everybody else. I feel like he was in, he was happy with whoever he was working with. Like he was comfortable. He was not worried. That's how he felt when he was on set that if he had to give you any sort of direction, he would do it, but he was not, um, that I don't know if you remember any of that, Carla, but he was always, you know, let's yeah. get let's get it done. We never spend that Very much time. Like, yeah. We have to do this that way. It was just something that just uh, like fluent. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, I'm just very happy that that was my first experience, and with someone like John Leguizamo, who is such a you know an advocate for for the Latino community, and just the fact that he's doing this, and Carla. And that it represents the Latinos in a different way in which it's been viewed for many, many years. Um, us as the heroes, you know what I mean? It's uh, it's it's great. So I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. Well, th there's another part of it, working with him as an actor, because it sounds to me, I personally am an actor's director because I come from in front of the camera. So being an actor's director, you know, you invest in the actor first, in their character, and then that investment comes back. What you're saying is, you know, you all come back with suggestions from the character. And that really helps right. a director to, especially with an ensemble cast, you know, create the, the ebb and flow of things. But there is a yeah. double side to that, which is actors could either be takers or givers, you know? So right. just in, right. in working that, with them as an actor, what was that like? Look, look I could never, ever never ever compare myself to John Leguizamo but myself I'm a very uh creative person and I, I I like a little bit of uh directing as well producing I do my own videos for YouTube TikTok whatever Instagram whatever it is and uh and I know how focusing on everything and perhaps when I'm acting with somebody else and I have to direct them and they don't have any idea what they're doing because <laughs> some of the times I'm dealing with people who are not actors or anything I know how we can just take that energy and then your 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 acting is not up to par because you're just focusing on 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 directing. You know what I mean? And just the fact that all the guys were so great. I'm talking for them, I'm not talking for them, but he felt he didn't feel like he had to focus all of his energy on directing because this is going bad or whatever. Right. So he could have that time to just focus on his character as well. Yeah, that's true. He, um, he, you know, we, we had a very interesting set and I think all of the actors, all of them from the highest ones to just, you know, the, the, just the extras, everybody said the same thing to me. It was the most unique set that they personally ever worked on. Um, they, they said that it, they felt very free to say, uh, whatever they wanted. They felt that ad-libbing was almost part of the script. Jeffrey, am I right? It was yeah. like unexpected, almost expected uh, the actors to take some responsibility in, 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 in that and to make sure that if the lines 
if they didn't, you know, if they felt like that what was written didn't come out properly out of their own, that that's not how they own sound, that they would change it and make it more personalized to them. And it definitely showed. And, you know, of course, me as like the mama bear, you know, I took care, I made sure that everybody felt very safe and um, that it was a family for a while. Um, so I, I think that that definitely showed through the screen, but I had a better, I, I mean, I go beyond Jeffrey in the sense that I had the pleasure of working with John on the post-production, which to me, you know, is, um, is so important because you can make or break it in an editing room. You can make a movie look horrible. You know, that I don't have to tell any of you. So um, working with all this, cast of characters, no pun intended, all men, again, as usual. It's like, I'm, I don't know what it is, but it's always been that way for this project for 20 years. But um, in the beginning, interesting, my evolution, just like Jeffrey said, is I was very, a little bit kind of intimidated in the beginning, even though, even, even if you're an executive producer, it doesn't matter if you see John Leguizamo come in, you're gonna be like, well, um, he must know more than I do. He must, you know, and he does obviously, but everyone, everyone had um, something to add. Me in particular, because of the amount of time I had spent with the real boys and the, and the coach and by living in Miami, of course, and keeping the story in Miami. Um, but, but the post-production was quite remarkable because Zach Zamboni, I keep, you know, Jeffrey and I keep bringing him up. I can't, I can't uh, describe or express to you both both JL and Kevin, I, I can't describe it. And I know Jeffrey knows this. I think no other cinematographer could have captured this movie like he did, because I, you know, I said to him, I'm like, if you can make a bowl of noodles for Anthony Bourdain look like it does, you can make a chessboard look animated. And he did. And the, you know, extreme close-ups and the handheld cameras and just everything that he did. I think that Zach had the, the magic the magic's you know formula i think he had the secret sauce right jeffrey don't you think that oh, really he was the one yeah yeah especially i don't want to give any spoilers away but the end the last scene you know between you and brandon i think that uh zach's idea you know we were filming till like three in the morning that day three four in the morning that day and um it was just how many ways can you can you film a chess match and how many different ways can you film a chessboard and what do you have yeah. to put it on to make it look like it's a real, you know, animate, animate thing. And it's not just a piece of wood. So I was lucky to work with John post-production and, and Zach and all, and Jamie and all the, and the editor, Jamie and all the other people. And then we, you know, we, we turned out this, what I think is really a, a masterpiece. And I, it, you know, it, um, and I think it depicts, you know, not just, perfect Miami in those days, uh, but just everyone, every character, all the five boys, I think, um, I think amplified themselves in this movie, everything that they're doing now, they were, some of them already were doing it, but I think they got more, they got very um, confident. They got a lot of confidence, right? Jeffrey, you feel that way? Cause you, they did such a great job. Such oh no, definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I can compare, and I was going to get to that next, the visual style. Um, and a word that I think, you know, really tones in on what this movie is all about is honesty, you know, not authenticity. And so, you know, we had another Miami movie that won an Oscar, Moonlight. 
and it was shot in a certain yeah. way and it was very particular to that movie i mean it really yeah. rung true for that movie yeah. and the visual style of critical thinking is specifically yeah targeted and works well for critical thinking yeah. and that's on a scene by scene basis yes you know all the right. scenes right. in the in the classrooms you know they really feel like i mean you know i, I attended public school and so you know you remember <laughs> back you know, when you're in class and how it feels and, you know, it really felt, I mean, I've, I've never been in, you know, that side, you know, where, you know, with, um, you know, some of the, some of the uh, problem kind of uh, issued kids, but really you could feel the way the sun comes in through the, through the window and how it right. really bathes the scene, you know, and the intimacy, whether everything, it is. Yeah. Everything was every, there was a, there was an intention for every scene. It wasn't like we shot the whole movie and then chopped it up into scenes. Every scene was intentional the way it was shot. That was all Zach. Well, of course, John, but I'm saying that was Zach's expertise. Every scene was different. You couldn't shoot the park scene uh, the same way you shot, you know, the scene in the, in the classrooms, like you were saying. And everything was intentional and very hard. We only had 20 days. So, you know, we had to really, one of the things, oh, I wanted to add to something about John that Jeffrey was saying. I think that one of the reasons why all the boys felt so comfortable and, and that they all felt like they all knew each other forever because that's what all the reviews say. And to what you said, both JL and Kevin about how it looked, I, I think it has to do with, um, uh, Oh my God, I totally forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> was it about John bringing the kids in together yes. as a unit? Yes, it is. So because John is a Broadway person, you know, he understands the, the importance of rehearsals. And most independent movies, most movies, I don't think, you know, they, it's not like rehearsals are part of the, especially when you don't have a big budget and you only have 20 days. So I know Jeffrey will can, can speak of this, but I remember... John was, you know, made people rehearse before a month or two before they even got to Miami. And then after a 12 hour day, they would rehearse before the next day so that there was no rehearsing or lag time. Jeffrey, am I right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, when, once we got cast, there were uh, Zoom meetings in which we got to know each other. Uh, and then for example, myself, I had that last game. So it was about 60 moves with uh, a copian, uh, his name is Brandon Summers, an amazing, amazing actor and, and, and person. And, um, and so I got his number and me and him before the shooting, before uh, John got to Miami or anything, we started Zooming and like, and like you know, just by reading, calling the, the, the moves, oh, E3, whatever, this and that, uh, for, for a while, then he, he has family that lives really close to where I live now. He came here, we practiced in his, in his house. And then John came over a week before, a week prior to shooting. And that was the week for, for, for um, rehearsing. And everybody right. went to the opera uh, house yeah, and that's yeah. where we practiced. And uh, yeah, before the shooting, if there were like, if there was, if it was gonna be a day where there were gonna be a lot of, a lot of scenes, then uh, we would go there and practice you know, go through the lines. He would say, okay, this place looks like this. So we would be going through this door. So just kind of getting a, a feeling of what the scene was going to go like. 
and and yeah but not to the extreme not to be a you know we got our rest and everything it's not like we yeah, were excluded or anything like that of course but yeah. yeah for sure the rehearsing was was really important to john because he's he's a he's a broadway actor he understands the meaning of what it looks like when you've rehearsed something and you don't have to you know your audience doesn't have to be your victim your audience, you know. Going back to, if I could add something, going back to what you mentioned about the visuals of, of the movie and, you know, in comparison to Moonlight. Right. Um, it's funny because a friend of mine who's, you know, he's, uh, he's studying um, uh, as a cinematographer or whatever, he mentioned, I love the movie, I love the visuals. There was one scene that actually threw me off, which was the um, when uh, Corwin and Zora are at um at the rooftop when he goes to sleep uh on the rooftop because he's yeah. upset with his dad and whatever that you could see all of downtown and Brickle and all this you know skylights and everything. I'm like well I mean that's just how close the projects are from like you know all right. of these beautiful cities right. so you just in a high uh rooftop that's what you're gonna see so it's it's very um how can I say the contrast is it's beautiful. It's it's yeah. not a lie. It's, it's like yeah, that. It was on purpose too, by the way. It right, was on right. Purpose. So it's yeah. like you're right. It makes more sense now. I'm like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because it it, show, it shows two different types of Miami, but it, it, and story wise, yes. But and and it is both of them are kind of you know high schoolish based stories and you know have the, their high school parts of it. But what what I was saying more specifically is that Moonlight had a certain feel and yeah. a certain look and a certain style that yes. was, you know, as good as anything gets, yes. you know, the budget wasn't super high. Right. Critical as thinking has a specific look and feel that is specific. Yeah. And it's, they're both Miami movies. And yeah. that's what we always talk about JL and I, and that's part of the reason why we started screen heat Miami, because, you know, there's, you know, a lot of Miami movies out, maybe 80% of them kind of, you know, zone in on the same, you know, kind of themes and things like that. But there's so many stories in Miami. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, that compare, I didn't, it wasn't necessarily a comparison, but it was the love of being able to see two stories and, you know, and to see critical thinking, because we're talking about critical thinking that zoned in and really felt authentically Miami. The look from the oh, yeah. look to the feel and what that makes a great film, what makes a film 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, the layers. You know, so that's the acting, the directing, the set design, the costume design, the look and feel. A lot of people don't consider the cinematographer above the line. I do. Um, he's, a, he's above every, I, in my opinion, he's above everyone. I have to say, I'm right. sorry to all of you guys, even me. He's above everyone because I feel like no one else could have captured. I mean, they could have captured it. It just wouldn't have looked that way. Yeah, right. So, it, it looked, and, and that, that yeah, is a... a yeah. A testament to, to you as a producer, Carla, to ensure well, that you know he comes it's, on board. It's that and noodle soup he made looks so good in Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, and, uh, just for our listeners, can you just uh, tell us a, a brief background on um, on the cinematographer because so we know where he came Zach, from. But. Yeah, so Zach Zamboni was Anthony Bourdain's cinematographer for his whole career until he died. Um, so when, uh, when you used to watch though, you know, whether it was no reservations or parts unknown or any of the shows when he was on C HBO or CNN or whenever, wherever he was on or the discovery channel, wherever Bourdain's show was, was aired, 
there was always people, people used to say to me, we used to watch it without the sound even just to see the images, you know, uh, whether it was a desert and how sand would move in the wind or, you know, how, uh, or, or again, I go back to that noodle soup. Um, you know, with, you know, it, it, it's not easy to make food and, and places look, it's like food porn or desert porn or whatever, you know, and <laughs> really for real. It's and, all porn. It's all porn. <laughs> Everything's porn. Chest porn. So I just felt that, you know, there was nobody else that could take an inanimate object like a chessboard, a wooden piece, of, a piece of wood with 32 wood pieces on top of it and make it look like it had legs and arms and, and a personality. And that's why we, we chose him. And, you know, he could do anything, but he would just had law. He didn't have a job at that moment, which was another crazy, um, you know, uh, crazy coincidence. And so it was all the stars were aligned. No, absolutely. Yeah, you're totally right. And it's a beautifully shot film. And it's it's interesting how you say how he was able to take something that was so inanimate and bring it to life, whether it's a bowl of noodles or sand in the desert or a chessboard. And I think that played perfectly into your movie. Uh, yeah. I want to maybe take the last 15 minutes, switch gears now, you know, to something that we cover a lot, which is distribution and streaming. And again, going back to that moment where you knew that the traditional run for a film like this was off the table uh, or off the chessboard. Um, how did you pivot as a producer specifically? You know, how, talk a little bit about how that deal with Vertical came about, how that relationship was formed and sort of the marketing plan moving forward from there. I had an artificial, me personally, as an executive producer, I had to protect a lot of things. You know, it was always for, for the executive producer, at least in my mind, it's always the, uh, the bigger picture, the future, you know, not, not the day-to-day -day thing. So my artificial deadline, my deadline uh, was I have a partner who was who's a little older and um, like 91. And so I wanted to make sure that he got a chance to go to the movies and buy popcorn and see the film. And that didn't happen. So uh, I didn't have a chance to, uh, again, to get upset or angry or sad or, or even to say, wait, 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 what? Like, I, I honestly, honestly, for real telling you that I didn't even, I, don't, I, I didn't give myself that opportunity to mourn even or to get, I just said um, to the agent, you know what, all these, um, it doesn't matter, we'll be fine. Maybe that's Pollyanna, but whatever, we'll be fine. Just send the link, send the link to everybody that was signed up to come. And um, maybe somebody else, who didn't have a 91 year old partner uh, maybe would have waited for another uh, offer or till next year to distribute it. Maybe when the virus went away or, or whatever, but we, um, I just, I could, I couldn't. So we vertical was, is lovely. It's a lovely company. And of course that, you know, uh, so we, you know, wasn't, it, you know, what it, at South by would have been a completely different both scenarios financially and art, 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 art wise, you know, I mean, it just would have been a different scenario, but um, given what we were dealt with, uh, we took the deal and we then took the deal with CMG who sold it uh, to the world worldwide, which hasn't even, hasn't even happened yet. I mean, that's coming in two weeks. Um, so we, um, 
we, I, I, that wasn't really we, it was more like I didn't have a choice and I just had to say yes. And I'm glad I did, um, but because this seems to be the year of the chess boom, you know, everyone's doing chess things, uh, even though we were doing them first. Everybody's we, at home, so. <laughs> and everybody's at home. And, and, and you know, and um, we, uh, we, we are taking advantage uh, or there we, we're like kind of jiving with that because people want to see movies like this when they're with their families all day long and things are so sad and so scary for kids. The parents are letting them watch the movie with the F-bombs floating around. They don't care. It's like, that's like yeah. the least of it, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. it is, a, it is, you know, but it is a, a really feel good, you know, family get together movie. It's not, yeah. I mean, you know, there are some parts that are, but there, there's not a lot of family movies out now, you know, and, and also it's enriching and it's educational. There are so. not a lot of family movies out. You're right. Yes. Yeah, no. Yeah, that, that, that makes a so lot of sense. My... And then, yeah, that, that and and so then in terms of sort of the marketing behind that, because again, now you're not dealing with the more traditional theatrical release for a prestige movie in the fall. You're dealing with multiple outlets, right, on VOD and however you can get access to the movie. So, right. what was part of that strategy? I know you right. know Jeffrey is very so popular on social media. How, how did right. all that kind of work into it? Yeah. So we were lucky enough to be picked up by everyone except for Netflix. Um, so we have a hashtag, not on Netflix, you know, which is funny. But, um, and Jeffrey and the other boys are always like copied, tagged on my posts, but, and they, they're so generous with their time uh, interviewing all the time. But we uh, are, are, are everywhere, even on airplanes and the good part is that Vertical gave it to a very good PR company. Very good. Very, very good. And we have so much. That's what made the Rotten Tomatoes rating so high is that we have so many interviews and so many reviews that were all good. And I, as a matter of fact, I still have like 50 that I'm still like rationing to the public because I, I'm afraid to like, you know, people get tired of seeing. But so they did a very good job. Everybody wanted to pick it up. Everybody wanted to speak to Jeffrey. Everybody wanted to speak to Jeffrey, to the guy in that poster, who, the guy who did that. And the, the accent that, you know, Jeffrey's accent um, actually, you know, ties into the movie so great uh, because that's how Marcel talks still. I saw him yesterday. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. But everybody uh, picked it up which is great. Um, it's, you know, I, and I, as much as I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart and I love them every day, still would have liked to see it in a, in a, in a film, in a, in a excuse me, in a theater, but it, it, uh, I'm still very grateful. I'm very grateful. And I see that there are so many, even, you know, TV shows on VOD that um, are so much better than the ones on regular TV. And as a matter of fact, just to, before we finish, I just want to say, I don't even know if Jeffrey knows this, I haven't discussed this, but there were, you know, this, this critical thinking was a 10 year program at Miami Jackson. I chose 1998 for different reasons because it was the first year they won the, I don't want to say, but it was the first year of something, not a spoil the movie. Uh, but I'm trying to work on a TV series for the other nine years because there are some unbelievable stories that were already written, it already happened, and all you need to do is write them down and tell them. So I, I'm not kind of, I'm not really done with this project. I feel like 
I represented real people for so many years, it's under my skin. So I'm, I'm trying to like continue the series like fame did in the eighties. Yeah, so, yeah. so that, 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 that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. For our listeners, we know we have two weeks, uh, one and a half weeks, you know, uh, once this comes out to really pump up um, the volume for Critical Thinking for their worldwide release. Uh, so now that we're at the tail end, we always have two questions and we're gonna have to go very fast on this because we have 10 minutes and it's two people. This is the first time we've had two people on, on these questions. So uh, JL, I'll let you give the first one. Absolutely, yeah. So this is sort of our signature uh, that we asked towards the end. And, and again, it's a two part question. I'll ask it and then you know we'll have Jeffrey and Carl answer it and then Kevin will do part two. So the first part, it's, it's speaking of sci-fi, uh, so this is kind of like Back to the Future. So if you can go back in time, Jeffrey, and speak to a young Jeffrey Batista that was still in Cuba, uh, just kind of getting into your own as a person, uh, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give a very young Jeffrey Batista? What would you do the same? What would you do different? That kind of thing. Okay, I'm going to try to be quick. Uh, <laughs> uh, back in Cuba. I would say to Jeffrey to just keep trusting his guts that everything's going to work out just fine, that he's going to make it out, that he's going to be, he's going to be, you know, that he's going to be totally fine. He's going to do amazing things that it's not, you know, things are not as bad as he thinks it, they are. Cause you know, I, Cuba was a struggle. So just being here, uh, this is more than I could have ever dreamed. So I would just tell him to chill out that everything's going to be great. That's what I would say. I like Same it. question, I the, first, the first chill out response. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. That's right. I would say to my nine-year-old self, when I, or 11-year-old self, when I first got to this country and didn't speak English, is, and used to get beat up every day after school, every day, for years, until I spoke English, I would say, stop crying, little girl, because in 25 years, you're going to make a movie uh, that's going to depict the immigrant experience um, and you're going to make other people feel um, like they matter, like their brains matter and they are important and nothing, what, what's happening right now to you is just literally, it's like rocket fueling you to the future. So don't cry. Wow, that was quick. That was great. I almost right. cried on that. Sorry. <laughs> True. Okay, and this question is for both of you. We'll go to Jeffrey first and then back to Carla. Um, what advice would you give actors, both up and coming, those, um, well, those trying to get in the industry, up and coming, and even those that are already in the industry? Right. Okay, I got that one. Uh, what I would say is that don't stereotype yourself. You just, every, just go for it. Give it your all. Get ready. Get the, get the knowledge work in your craft and get out there. There's a lot of people who want the same thing that you want, but just being on it 100% of the time is what one day will give you a shot that you, that you need. Somebody's gonna trust you just as much as you trust yourself. You just gotta believe in you first. That's what I would say is what's helped me. I know that I am not, I don't look, I don't sound like a lot of people, I'm myself and one day, somebody's gonna want that specific thing. You know what I mean? It's, and I think that's what helped me. So just be yourself and, but work, work. 
get your your craft, you know, study and go out there, go for it. Great, yeah. Carla. This is your your first uh, producing outing. It's it's taken twenty plus years. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, wow, what an extraordinary home run you hit on hit, hit on this one. So I think you know all all producers are waiting with bated breath to hear the advice that you could give to producers that are just starting, producers that are already there, producers that are struggling to get their story, you know, 10 years, 15 say, years, um, 20 years out. I would say, I, I would say, don't listen to noise. I would also say to be careful because not, there are a lot of beautiful stories, but not every story needs to be told. Find the story that needs to be told. And when you do, don't worry that you haven't done it before because everyone feels like they're like they're an imposter. There's imposter syndrome and that's in everyone. I don't care if you're Steven Spielberg or just me. Know what you wanna do. Don't listen to noise. Keep your head down. See the future and little by little, just one step at a time, just do it. And don't listen to people that say, listen, I've made 78 movies. You don't know what you're saying do it just don't listen just hear them because you're not deaf but just just go don't listen just just do what what you need to do because of something that you uh, you know believe in to be true you don't have to be a cow to know what milk is wow that's great that's yeah. my, <laughs> that's gonna yeah. be my um that's a hashtag uh, mantra for the next <laughs> few days we don't yeah. have to be cows to know what milk is, but we do know what good movies are. And Critical Thinking is a great movie. So Thank you guys. congratulations Thank you for having us. So yeah. And Jeffrey if I could as well. just say something really quick, because this is the first interview I have with Carla right here. Sure. And I always say the best things about you. And I want you to know again that you are amazing. And I love you so much. And I thank you I for you. making all of us, especially me, feel so you know welcome from the first day. Just how you spoke about how you felt about my uh, audition and how always you were checking on me when I was on set, even after that we're always checking on each other. How's yeah. the movie going? How are you feeling? This and that. So thank you so much for being so amazing. I love you. You're, you gave your all and um, I love the both of you also because you guys have been our biggest champions as well. Uh, part of Miami and Hialeah Racetrack and all that stuff in Hialeah Park and all that. So. Absolutely. Thank you, Jeffrey. Love you. Okay. Awesome. Well, this was a fantastic. Thank you. Thank you guys again. This is a great screen here in Miami. And uh, yeah, go out and see the movie however you can. We're going to talk more of it on the other side. Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, guys. Pleasure to meet you. Okay. And we're back. Yes, sir. Fantastic interview as always, my friend. Yeah. This is our first twofer. Two on two. It's like doubles. Yeah. I loved it. I think we were like Serena and Venus out there. Just top, top, top. <laughs> But I mean, you know, Carla and Jeffrey, they, and they said that this is the first time that they've done an interview together. So mm -hmm. Screen Heat exclusive, another one. But, you know, it's really great to hear from both sides, you know, in front of the camera and behind the camera. The business side, the creative side how those two sides in this world have to really depend on each other uh, just to kind of make it through this, this crazy journey of making a movie, right? Yeah, not easy, not easy. Not, but 20 years, 20 plus years. years to bring it to the screen. 
That's a journey. I mean, Carla really, I mean, to her credit, I mean, she started when the original kids that this is based on when they were still in high school and bringing them all the way up until they were pushing 40 before the yeah. film came to fruition and, and to have all these expectations. And then again, with COVID and the loss of their world premiere at South by and the quick pivot to vertical and doing this all platforms release, it's just been quite a ride. Yeah, but they did it. I mean, you know, I saw it the day that it came out on Apple TV, amazing film, well-deserved 93% on, on Rotten Tomatoes. She kept it in Miami, you know, so that's a testament to, you know, her as a producer. And, you know, you heard the particulars in the interview, you know, she really did st stay true to investors and the spirit of, uh, of connectivity for them. So, you know, big kudos to uh, Carla and of course, Jeffrey. So, so absolutely. Yeah, they, they're knocking it out of the park. Unfortunately, one that is not knocking out of the park and may not They're knocked make it. out of the park. <laughs> struck out, Casey at the bat. They struck out, Quibby. Katzenberg and Miss Whitman, uh, the, the founder and the CEO of, of Quibi, the struggling short form mobile video startup. Doesn't look like it's gonna make it. It didn't, I mean, that's it, they're done. So I know that they, um, you know, they tried to sell the company. One of the death knells, and I didn't even know this, is that they didn't own a lot of their IP. So they made deals with a lot of the content creators and the deals were exclusivity for two years and then licensing thereafter. So when you don't own the IP, it then becomes, I think, a little bit more difficult to, to sell a company because, because that, I mean, that, that, I mean that $2 billion in terms of a purchase of Quibi really makes more sense when you're purchasing that library. And I right. always thought that Quibi, you know, the way that it was set up was, you know, they'd have these short form content that helps to set up that in intellectual property. And then that intellectual property could be expanded in one way or the other. For yeah, me, that's right. you know, you figure in short form, even with, you know, almost $2 billion that they would have produced a lot of, of their own IP, yeah. uh, really commission more work than license. But, you know, it's interesting how, how they were able to structure these deals where they just weren't able to create that value in terms of, like you said, a library of content. So essentially, you know, they went after some of the big uh, tech companies like Facebook uh, and Apple to buy them out. And they all said no, essentially. Uh, but I think partly because, again, what, what exactly were they buying other than the Quippy name and a bunch of short-lived licenses? So right. it, it was uh, a smart offer for them. But a lot of hoopla. Jeffrey Katzenberg is a legendary figure in Hollywood who started his meteoric ride with Disney, Disney Animation, obviously DreamWorks. But it just he wasn't able to pull this off. I mean, he did a great job raising the money and getting the company launched. But, you know, it just uh, it's been it's been a crazy time, obviously. As he mentioned, COVID did not help his cause is what he says, even though a lot of streamers saw a bump because of COVID, he feels that uh, it actually had an adverse effect on Quibi. Yeah, I mean, some of the detractors are saying that it wouldn't have made a difference. And a lot of the people that actually, and I, I subscribe to, to Quibi, but uh, a lot of the complaints were that you couldn't really, you couldn't stream it to your TV. And so, you know, if you're just bound to your phone, you can stream anything else. That also kind of limits 
you know, the, the push of, of what it is. I can understand them trying to keep it on the, on the mobile phone because, right. you know, they want to keep it within that app, but you know, sometimes you got to waver a little bit, but I guess they wavered just off the map. So we'll see what happens. Cautionary tale. I'm sure it's going to be a Harvard business school uh, oh, yeah. reviewed historical case study. So yeah, there you go. My, my biggest concern is I just, I want to know what's going to happen to Kirby Jenner. We can't lose. Kirby. <laughs> I think oh. that's it, my friend. I think that's it. I think that's can it I, for Kirby. Can we start a change.org to keep Kirby alive? Yeah, hey, maybe, maybe it'll have a second life on Netflix. There you go. Um, so I want to move on to something that yeah, we, we had one more story, which is kind of out there. It's funny, but it's serious at the same time. Borat is, is back. Media. This Borat film hasn't come out and yet. It's just one story in the press after another. Him almost getting killed at a conservative rally. Now this whole thing with Giuliani. It what is. It is insane. The movie comes out tomorrow. There you go. Giuliani caught in a compromising position. Literally pants down. Well, they weren't down, but he was reaching in his pants. Like that CNN guy on Zoom? (laughs) (laughs) Tobin! Tobin, what were you doing, man? Come on! Oh, tugging Tobin. God bless his heart. Tug. Um. (laughs) Yeah, these, these, these guys, man. So, um... So apparently, um, Sasha Baron Cohen's sister coerced, Mm. well, I don't know if it's coerced, but she pulled Rudy Giuliani into a hotel room. Uh, She purported to be 15. And next thing you know, Rudy Giuliani is on the bed, Mm. um, reaching into his pants. Oh, boy. Now, we won't know until tomorrow exactly how deep that compromised position is Hmm. but uh there is a lot of pushback coming um you know sasha baron cohen is always up to some mischief so um i love the first movie i'm excited to see the second one so maybe we'll report on it next week we definitely have to i'm definitely going to catch that one it'll be on amazon prime starting tomorrow like you said so if you get a chance to stream that, I'm definitely going to stream it. I think it's he's an interesting character. Always his films are always filled with drama and and all sorts of of weird, interesting thing going on in the political spectrum. Speaking of politics, so it's going to be an interesting ride this weekend. A lot to catch. 537 votes. Rudy Giuliani's pants down. It's just all over the place. <laughs> with that being said, I I don't think there's much more to much more to add. Fireworks uh, went off. I don't know. <laughs> Presidential election in twelve days. Jeez. What else yeah. Not trying to get too political. We got we touched on it a little bit, but that was just that was just on the, a little bit on the surface. So um, until next time, we will hear you again. Thank you all for listening. This is Screen Heat Miami. I'm Kevin Sharpley. Dale Martinez. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Dolly. Boom. Boom.